Welcome to episode three of The Urbanist Live, a new podcast produced by the Urban Development Institute of Australia in WA. This episode is sponsored by Carbon EMT, who with the backing of WinConnect, are Australia's most established community energy network operator. Visit carbonemt.com.au to see how Carbon EMT can benefit your next development with savings and sustainable technologies. I'm your host, Tanya Steinbeck, CEO of UDIAWA, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking again to UDIAWA's Director of Policy and Research, Chris Green, and we'll be discussing some of the record-breaking land sales figures we've seen since the introduction of the housing stimulus measures from both the federal and state governments. We'll also be looking ahead to WA's economic recovery from the virus and the important role that the development industry will play. So thanks for joining me again today, Chris. Hi, Tanya. All right, so we've had a huge amount of media interest over the last 24 hours when we released our June quarter figures as part of the Urban Development Index. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the figures uh, showed us? Yeah, so we had the record sale across the, uh, ever since that survey started, Tanya. So we sold just over 3,300 lots in in the June quarter, which was pretty staggering really and and that compared to uh, 1,466 at the close of the March quarter. So over a hundred percent increase in sales. What is really quite remarkable and you know it's it's a key feature of the COVID experience that we're seeing in 2020 is actually the pace of that change. So not only was is the land sales up by over hundred percent but Actually, the stimulus didn't kick in until the 7th of June. So there was only really three weeks of stimulus attached to that sales period. And yet it's still doubled or more than doubled. It's just quite remarkable. And if you think back in you know, the early part of that quarter, so April, a lot of uncertainty and we were, we were in lockdown and yet we've still come through it and we have you know, smashed the record. It's pretty staggering, really. And I think when you look to our to our weekly land snapshot survey again you, you know you can see that that rapid change more more within that obviously it's a weekly survey so you can really see how that ramped up and we saw that in early early june sales just just going through the roof and hitting you know consistently over 400 or certainly close to 400 in a few weeks as well for that period so really look it's a big big number for the quarter but most of that has come in the back end no doubt the key question on it, on everyone's lips, really, I think, in that survey was not really so much the lot sold, but it was the lot supply and the lots under construction and where we're going to be at. Now, it's not surprising there that we've seen a big increase in the lots under construction. So we went from, I think it was, well, it was 1,799 in, uh, at the end of the March quarter. That jumped to 3,629. So again, a massive increase there, over 100% increase. And that's roughly the number of lots we've sold in this quarter. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see, can we get enough lots out there to satisfy demand? We certainly think so. Uh, but it's that survey is a bit tighter than I think than what we imagined. When you look at the weaker land snapshot, though, the sales are pulling back. So gone from over 400 in early June. This last week, so ending the 2nd of August, closed there at 195. The week before was 174. 263 before that. So we're seeing a gradual decline in the sales. 
However, I do think the notion to flag there is we're seeing probably a lot better sales. So I think in the early days, there may be a reasonably high cancellation, whereas I think the deals coming through now are much more high quality and they're probably likely to stick. So whilst those numbers are down, those lots will disappear. And uh, so look, it's going to be interesting again to see where we're at. Things change all the time. It's so dynamic. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see how how things develop as we move towards that deadline of the 31st of December for the for the stimulus cutoff. Mm. And so one of the other things that we've had a lot of inquiry and a lot of interest in, um, particularly from the media, but also from consumers as well, is pricing. So obviously, you know, the fundamentals of supply and demand are at play here. But what's what's the average lot price done since the stimulus was was implemented? Are we seeing sort of a significant price pressure or, or has it been fairly steady? Yeah, so it's pretty flat. I mean, we, we are, people are looking for a for price increases, but it's not there. It's it's actually a, it's a fallacy to, to go down that route. The average price of the lot sold in this quarter closed there at two two six, and that compared to two two eight at the end of March. So we've actually seen a 0.8% fall in lot sales. When you look at the weekly survey, that is consistent with that as well. It's it's been hovering in and around the 220 mark pretty much every week. It fluctuates a little bit, but it's pretty consistent around that. So we certainly haven't seen any increases there. What what is a bit more interesting is if you look at the breakdown in the in the size of the lot. So so we did a bit of a look at this in we picked five weeks pre-COVID, I guess. So um, February and the last week of Jan. So Christmas was out of the way. So you know, relatively stable conditions and reflective of the market. And then we compare that to the five weeks post the stimulus. What was interesting, obviously lot sales are up across all the different size and price bands, but there was a big increase in lots sales under the 120,000 mark. So um, they went from seven across the five weeks before the stimulus to 82. So an increase of almost 12 times. Elsewhere, the increase was pretty consistent around five times increase. So in the 120 to 160 price band, we went from 47 sales to 214. And then at the, at the larger, at the top end of the market, we saw increase from, from 40 sales over 340,000 to 107. So an increase there of, of two and a half times. But yeah, was, the lot prices um, haven't moved. I think that's a testament to the to the industry and actually the you know the professionalism that the industry has. And there's not this price gouge in that the media seems to to want to try and find. It's just it's just not there. Indeed. So one of the other things uh, that I find interesting is where the majority of these sales are occurring in terms of local government authorities. And not saying that the LGAs are competitive against each other, but it's always really interesting to see um, you know which are the highest performing corridors, I suppose, in terms of sales. So what did we see? In in terms of what was the the best-selling local government authority this quarter? So City Swan had the uh, strongest number of sales. Brabham has been going well for a while now, so it's perhaps not surprising to see that northeast corridor doing well, and, that, and then closely followed by Wanneroo, which again has been, you know, that northwest has also been perhaps the second best performer. But I mean, it's across the board; all the sales are up everywhere. So in the northeast corridor, we saw an increase of 146%. In the northwest, we saw an increase of uh, 119%. In the southwest, actually quite a big increase there, 157%. And regionally, regions is perhaps the untold success story. The number of lots sold there increased 163%. So, okay, it's off a low base, but big increases there. And pretty much across the board, certainly Southwest has been strong and the Great Southern. 
But even Geraldton, from what we from what we hear, has been going well. We're hearing encouraging signs about the Pilbara, which I think has been a little bit slow to react. But feedback that we're getting now is that even there, there's, there's encouraging signs. So look, it's encouraging across the board, and particularly for the state, great to see the regions doing well. Absolutely. And and one of the other things um, that is being discussed, you know, around the water cooler at the moment is the extent to which we are bringing demand forward. And, you know, we're, we're heading for a cliff uh, when the stimulus finishes. I mean, certainly from what I've heard, there is an element of bringing demand forward. There always is with these kinds of stimulus packages. But we're actually seeing new buyers, um, buyers that otherwise would not have considered building a house. But given the current environment, quite a few people with some extra savings that, you know, perhaps had planned to travel the world, uh, which is uh, going to be increasingly difficult to do um, over the next year or two, I would imagine. They're starting to come out of the woodwork and um, and in, in housing. Or is that something that you're hearing as well? Yes, definitely. I think that's the, that's the feedback that everyone's sort of hearing is that it is a slightly different buyer. There's, okay, they're still first home buyers, but it is a slightly different buyer. They're, they're better qualified. And yeah, we are repeating hearing of situations of, of young couples who perhaps want to go to we're going to go to Europe traveling or whatever they've got the money there they're ready to go they, they jumped on board on the deal or the parents are there I think to some extent it is a positive that the, that the stimulus or isn't included as part of the deal then obviously that will only bring forward the buyers that are, are better qualified obviously that diminishes the pool that we're, we're drawing from so it, it's a double-edged sword but in the current rules that's what we're seeing we're seeing a slightly better buyer come through but in terms of the what is the the drain what how big is the pool we're drawing from and that's the question that everyone knows population growth is just it's it's hard to call we've only got figures from december so no one really knows where we're at i even think there's a bit of a caveat in that because there obviously will be a lag between anyone moving here anyway and and then and then buying or building a property so not quite sure what that period is we looked in the past i think anecdotally i think there were most people sort of felt it was around two to three years, but there wasn't a clear trend, or there was a trend for a while, but when we started losing population interstate, then that trend diminished. So it's difficult to know. The key question around the population growth is whilst there's a shortfall at the minute, what is that going to do to the long term? So when are we going to see that hole in our data? Is it going to be in two years' time or is it going to be in three years' time? I guess we'll find out. Even the interstate migration is difficult to know where we're at there. We were losing a thousand people quarter last year. Obviously, we're not doing that at the minute or you'd, you'd think that we're not, but no one really quite knows where we're at. Certainly, if you were, if you wanted to be anywhere in Australia right now, you'd want to be in WA. So, uh, look, I'm sure we're an attractive proposition, and maybe we're going to see people get out of, of the eastern states and come here. But it's it's so hard to know. There is no accurate data set there at the minute. It's all it's all a bit of hearsay. Everyone will be looking for those figures once the ABS releases them, which is probably not too far away. But even then, it's it's only going to be for March, so we're still not going to see COVID implications of that. The RBA did put out a forecast a couple of weeks ago now, and they're estimating that population growth will be down some 85% across Australia. Pretty, pretty, pretty big numbers there. Interestingly, though, to counteract that, Westpac just today actually uh, highlighted that WA is in a pretty strong position, and part of the reason being is that we we don't we're not reliant on the overseas students that uh, sort of Victoria are and, and New South Wales. Um, but when I've spoken to a few people within the universities, those Uni, uni students really they're locked in this year anyway again it's going to issues will arise next year and the subsequent year but 
look, it's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in that, but certainly that's one of the things that we that we need to advocate for, I guess, moving forward is making sure that we've got a process that enables some some population growth. Obviously, it needs to be safe to do so. But without it, definitely going to be an issue in a, in a few years' time. Yeah, so interesting, you know, following on from that point around population growth. And this morning at our uh, first face-to-face event since the restrictions have been eased, we were focusing on rebuilding the economy. And David Caddy, chair of West Australian Planning Commission, joined us on the panel today. And, and he was remarking about uh, how often he's engaging with the state demographer uh, at the moment on almost a daily basis, but what a job to have in this environment um, uh, when it really is anybody's guess as to where it's going to go. And so so following on from that as well and population growth, one of the other things in terms of rebuilding the economy that we spoke about this morning was infrastructure. Infrastructure investment, fortunate to have John Langelon, the chair of Infrastructure WA and the newly appointed CEO, Philip Helberg, who's three days into the job today, did a fantastic job on the panel talking about the fantastic reception that Infrastructure WA have had in the regions and also the the feedback that they're getting from the regions around the importance of digital infrastructure, which is not something they they had expected to, to hear. So when we're talking about infrastructure investment, obviously the development industry is heavily invested through development contribution schemes and we've seen the state also put some investment into community infrastructure just announced over the last few days. How important do you think infrastructure investment is to our economic recovery here in WA and to what degree do you think the the 20-year strategy from Infrastructure WA is going to support population growth moving forward? Yeah, Tony, it's a good question, but there's a couple of key components to that to my mind. And the first one is the, the multiplier construction. Yeah. Construction has the highest multiplier across across all sectors. So it is really positive that the government has recognised that and we've seen the building similar. So so the housing market or the housing construction sector has a stip, has a multiplier of 2.5. I think broader construction is a little bit higher. It's almost close to three off the top of my head. But look, it's great that the government has recognised that. And certainly you'd have to say the building industry has got a, a strong supply there. Uh, obviously, there's challenges around civil in particular at the minute. Just how sustainable that is, look at some shortfalls there. And if we can extend that, that will be great. But certainly, I think the government should be congratulated for the pretty blunt instrument that the stimulus was in there. And it's quite simplicity of the scheme whilst we've got some issues around the requirements it is fairly simple there's not too many requirements so it is great that we should get a fair bit of activity out of that and certainly you know we're certainly seeing that through our figures long term i think yeah look this crisis has really shown that uh, we need to we need infrastructure to support our communities but it may be different type of infrastructure to what we've provided in the past and we perhaps need to be a little bit smarter in how we go about that and I think already we're seeing those comments come out from IWA today that they're looking to perhaps try and be a little bit more agile in the, in that infrastructure delivery. And perhaps it doesn't always need to be hard infrastructure, but it could be telecommunications or you know e e infrastructure and perhaps you know many health services that can be online, all that kind of stuff. Certainly for the regions, having a, a reliable and quick uh, internets you know is is absolutely critical and you can probably see that you know that's just going to become even more as we get more and more into the internet of things and, and everything becomes online. 
But yeah, it's it's early days with that strategy. Be interested to see what they come out with. Certainly at the minute, a lot of talk is around bipartisan support for that. It's quite easy, I think, when you've got a, what is it, 95% rating? Um, now, whether there's that bipartisan Mr. Support, 89%. 89%, yeah. <laughs> Uh, long term, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, look, it's great to have that 20 year vision. Hopefully they can get the right infrastructure within that because there's one thing having a long term vision. You've got to make sure you've got the right infrastructure in there. Then. Absolutely. Well, look, before we finish, I just wanted to, to thank Chris for talking to me today about the recent land sales figures and the economic recovery. So I've just got one last question as we always finish with our podcast. What's your one message in a bottle for listeners to take away with them as they continue the rest of their day? I think this is a bit of a repeated message here, Tanya. Look, I think we flagged it last time, but everyone is working together and it is great to see. It, it was a message that came out again today from the, from the breakfast, but it is great to see not only all the government agencies work to, working together, but government and industry working together both sides of parliament working together. The planning reform was turned around in record times through, the, through both houses. So look, it is fantastic to see. It is quite remarkable when you look back to see what, what has happened already in 2020. And there is really that strong support for WA across all different stripes. So it, it is great if we can keep going in, the, in this direction. Hopefully we can get through this, this period fairly well unscathed. Brilliant. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening in. I hope today's discussion has been of value to you. Thanks once again to our valued sponsor of the podcast and our communications partner, Carbon EMT, with the backing of WinConnect, Australia's most established community energy network operator. This podcast has been produced to complement our quarterly magazine, The Urbanist, which explores a variety of thought leadership topics, providing new insights to assist you and your business. Our magazine is made available to our members and anybody who wishes to subscribe. If you are keen to check it out, head to our website, www.udiawa.com.au for more information.